Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to the Run It Up podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and also check out our socials, which are Run It Up Official on Instagram. And we also got Run It Up Podcast on Instagram as well. Please check out those pages, like, follow, subscribe. Also, jump on runitup.com.au. Check out everything we got there. Stay up to date. We got our merch, tees, hoodies, uh, shorts as well. Check it out, guys, and appreciate the support. My guest on the podcast today is a woman who may be regarded as the most dominant triathlete in the world. She has competed at the highest levels of triathlon and won multiple world championships. Not to mention she has won 47 triathlon events. She has a heart of gold and an excellent person to talk to about triathlons, mindset, winning and just sheer resilience. Please welcome my guest, Melissa Holschultz. Hey, thanks for having me. No, no worries. Um, so I first came across um, learning about you uh, just on Instagram. I saw one of your posts. I think it was just um, you completing, I believe it was one of, I'm not too particularly sure which Ironman event, but it was you finishing the line first, obviously. And um, I just dived yeah. deeper, found your website and saw that you must be one of the most accomplished Australian athletes to compete in Ironman and triathlon events. And it was absolutely crazy to see all your achievements as well on your website and Wikipedia. I just thought I had to, had to dive a little bit deeper into this as well. Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, long course triathlon isn't real big in Australia. So um, most of us long course athletes are more well-known in Europe and, and America than here. Because <laughs> yeah. um, I myself, I particularly um, are a bit more like into sort of those longer distance events. So like more like uh, ultra marathons, um, just because it's more kind of my pace. I'm not, you know, the most explosive runner. And I kind of feel like I get more of a rhythm when I get into longer distance running events. You get that, that, that nice rhythm, nice pace and whatnot. So in saying that, um, just let us know a little bit about your background because your background wasn't always in triathlon events. Yeah, um, I was a runner before a triathlete. Um, been running since I was 11 years old. And I competed in um, World Cross Country, World Champs, um, Commonwealth Games, 2006 Commonwealth Games, I got second. Um, and then I was actually training, uh, every time the Olympics came around, I'd have an injury. Um, then I was training for the 2010 um, Con Games. And again, I just got another injury and I was just, I was sick of going to the pool and doing deep water running. So I bought a bike and just started cycling. Um, and then I just joined a cycling club and I really enjoyed it. And I thought, oh, maybe I can swap to cycling. Um, but you can't, females can't make a living in cycling. Mm. Um, and I really liked running still. So uh, it was actually somebody in my who is now a manager that told me to give triathlon a go. And um, I'd never swum before. <laughs> Grew up at the beach, but never swum. Um and so I kind of brushed it off um, probably for about six months. And then 
he was really persistent and was like, okay, I'll, I'll go to a swim session pretty much to prove him wrong that, you know, I, I can't swim and I can't do triathlon. Um, and the, the swim coach, you know, he, he did say, I don't think you're fast enough for short course triathlon, but you might make it in long course. Um, and there was a half Ironman just down the road from me on the Gold Coast. I was living in Brisbane at the time. And I thought, you know, I'll, I'll just do it just for fun and then I'll go back to running. And, um, yeah, I won the race. So it kind of <laughs> got, got a bit addicted to it. And that was, yeah, back in 2010. So now I've been doing it 10 years. Wow, that's amazing. When we, um, yeah. when we backtrack a bit, was it um, the same particular injury or just small little things that were like flaring up or was it more overtraining and constant, the constant same monotonous type of physical activity that was causing said injuries? Yeah, it always seemed to be stress fractures. Um, yeah, as a pure runner, you're running a lot. You're, you're running at least 100 kilometres every week. Um, and just that continual pounding, I guess my body just wasn't strong enough to do that. Um, and yeah, so that's why I got on the bike and I just started riding. And then I found to compete in long course triathlon, which, you know, I used to run 3K, 5K. Long course, you're running 21K to 42K. But you actually run train a lot less because you're, you're biking and swimming. So I found that balance was just a lot better on my body and you know, I wasn't getting the injuries, wasn't getting the bony injuries anymore. And so I just thought this is a way that I can still run. Um, and I loved riding. So I just had to learn how to swim. <laughs> how long was um, that transition between you deciding um, moving into triathlon events and kind of not pursuing that Commonwealth Olympic Games type of um, running level? Yeah, so it was um, 2009, I'd got an injury again um, and that's when I bought the bike and I just started riding around and I did a few local cycling races with the hope still of doing um, Com Games in 2010 as a runner. And then just before the trials, oh, actually I, I won the trials but I didn't run fast enough, so I just had to get the time and then I got injured. So I kind of ran out of time and, and that's when I was like, oh, well, so then it was October 2010, there was a half Ironman race. And I thought, I'll just do that um, just for some fitness and a bit of a goal um, just to keep me motivated. Uh, and then, you know, after I do that, I'll go back to running. Um, but I didn't go back to running because my manager had actually put a bet on with a bike sponsor that if I won the race, I'd get these bikes. And I didn't know this at the time. And I said to him after, I said, I'm going back to running. He's like, oh, you can't now. So I thought I'll, I'll just stick it out for a year. I'll, I'll do this sport for a year. A lot more money in triathlon than running. Um, so I thought I'd just get a bit of money behind me and, and then I'll go back to running. But the very next year I won the world champs. So then I got hooked. <laughs> That's amazing. Wow. Bit of, bit of pressure as well to introduce a bike sponsorship as well with that first first event <laughs> yeah well that's the thing I was like what did you do that for like yeah obviously I, I I needed a bike I'd actually broken my bike um weeks before the race and got lent a bike for the race um so I needed a bike but I the whole plan was just to do this for a bit of fun and then and go back to running because I really I really wanted to go to the Olympics 
um, that be my goal ever since I was 12 years old. And every time they rolled around, I'd, I'd get an injury. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> still, still a good result, no matter what, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, long course try, um, it has world chance, but it doesn't have the Olympics. So that was, you know, I was tossing up. Oh, what do I want to do? But um, it, I was just struggling with running, like just making a living. It's, you know, my medical bills were higher than what I was earning. So, um, yeah, it just wasn't viable anymore. What was the um, experience like? What kind of emotions were you feeling kind of on that day of the first triathlon event? Did you have very high expectations or was it more like I'm just going to give it a go and see, just see what happens kind of? Um, well, I probably told people I'm just going to give it a go. I've never done this before, but every time I step on a start line, I want to win a race. <laughs> and so, yeah, I, I, I still believed I could win the race. Um, I, I think I got out of the water five minutes behind, um, probably dead last. I was on a borrowed bike that was too big. And um, I think I rode up to second and, and then ran them down. But yeah, I, I guess I'm, I'm always a fighter and I, <laughs> I want to win every race I start. So um, yeah, I, I was going into it, trying to win it, not just have a bit of fun. Yeah. <laughs> of course, because you see, um, see like a pattern with athletes who are at a very similar level to like that Olympic level, almost Olympic team level, whether it's um, whatever sport you can name, they always have that kind of drive that they want to win whatever task or physical sporting tasks at hand, even if it's not their own specific um, activity that they're doing. They always want that first place, um, like always come first mindset, which is really, I don't know if it's really something, might be something you go into or just something that um, – not everyone has. It's really interesting to see because you can see it with, um, with like whatever sport, whatever sport you can name that's in the Olympics, they've all got that. It's almost like a very similar drive where first it's either first or nothing, no matter whatever, yeah. whatever task it is, even if it's yeah. just walking down the street. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I actually just had a family catch up on the weekend and my auntie was like, um, Oh, Melissa has to win cards. Like, you know, it's, it's a card game, <laughs> but it's just, it's just that mindset. Like you just want to win everything. And even swapping to triathlon, everyone said, Oh, you picked it up so fast. Uh, you know, maybe I wasn't the best technically or obviously not a very good swimmer and everything, but yeah, I think that, that mindset and that, and triathlon is very, it's a, it's a mental um, game. Like you're out there for so long that I think the, the mental side of it, um, is more important than the physical side. Um, so, yeah, I think you need that mindset. Is that, do you reckon that's the um, maybe one or few outliers for you personally that makes you such a dominating athlete in triathlons is because you've got that almost like that switch where you is like either first or nothing, either like it's first or you might as well not even do it at all type of mindset? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think I think most athletes right at the top are, are all or nothing. Um, you know, I don't think I could ever go back and race age group just for fun. Um, you know, I'd still be out there to win it 
Um, I, yeah, I think that's why the top athletes, you know, win. And even, um, you know, standing on every start line, it doesn't matter who I'm up against. I will be there, like, trying to win it. Was that something you learnt as a young age or perhaps um, like a some sort of coach or family member, you know, might have been a little bit, sto- uh, not stoic, but a little bit tougher on you as a kid when it came to performing at uh, whatever event it was, whether it's maybe a state championship or just your local running event? Was there always someone pushing you and you're developing that first or nothing mindset? Yeah, I, I have two older siblings, so I guess I was always competitive with them and always wanted to beat them. Um, but my, my dad was a huge part of my career when I was younger. He took me to all my races and he always told me if you believe you can win the race, you can. And, you know, when your dad tells you that at, at 12 years old, you know, you believe everything your parents say. So I think that was drilled into me at a very young age that I just had to believe that I could win and I would. Um, you know, I was training two days a week and my competitors were training five days a week. Um, but, you know, dad told me I could win, so I can win. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think it was drilled into me from him from a very young age. Yeah, it's always um, a very strong motivator when it comes from parents when they're trying to push you to be the best, even though it's whatever the situation is. They just want the they just want you to do the best that you possibly can. And then sometimes that that can turn into almost Olympic level type of athletes. <laughs> so Yeah, I think my dad saw me at a young age that I was very driven and he didn't want me to overtrain. So I, I think that's why he told me, you just got to believe you can win. Um, because when I got a little bit older, I got 15, 16, I said, oh, you know, dad, these guys are training way more than me. I need to train more. And he kept saying, no, no, you don't. You know, you just got to believe you can win. And I think it was all just to hold me back so that I didn't injure myself. Mm. So when it comes to preparing for a triathlon event, what kind of thoughts go through your mind to like help you stay so focused because you're, you're going to be out there doing three, th- almost like three events in one day and out there for about four or five hours, just constantly moving and pushing. How do you, do you say any like affirmations or any key words just to keep you on track? Yeah, so many things go through my head. <laughs> I, I guess it all starts back in training. Um, as I said before, like triathlon is just such a mental game because you are out there so long. Like physically, your body can keep going. Um, it's your mind that will shut down first. And, you know, the hard training sessions, that's where I'm like, once it starts hurting, once it starts getting tough, that's where I know the work it really is being done um and you know i'll never give up in training because then it'll be easier to do that in the race so um yeah it starts back at training and then before every race i visualize the way i want the race to go um and through the race yeah i just keep talking to myself just almost bribing myself as well like you know on the run like just just two more Ks at this pace and then you can have a gel or you can have some water. And, um, and I guess the big picture of finishing the race, like 
you will really regret it if you pull out of the race. Like it seems easier that time to just pull out, but I'm just like, think of the long term, think of tomorrow and the next day and you're going to really regret this. So just keep going. It's just a little bit more pain. And um, yeah, I, I, I count, I, um, yeah, I try all different sorts of things um, just to, to keep me going and just, just to get to the next aid station and, and yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause um, uh, for me personally, I'm a big visualizer as well. So when it comes to, when I used to play basketball a lot, trying to get college scholarships, went over to America straight out of, uh, after high school on a tour. Uh, my visual visualization wasn't as strong as what it was after. And then moving, uh, say moving forward into, uh, started doing combat sports like jujitsu and wrestling. And then I kind of um, self-evaluated how, how important visualiz- visualization is even if it's just simulating one move, you can like picture it in your head and you kind of almost do it in person without actually doing the action beforehand, which I um, came across, uh, I believe Andrew, Andrew Huberman is a neuroscientist uh, researcher, sorry. And the way he was just explaining how important visualization is for um, athletes in particular and how visual, visualization, certain movements, is almost is almost the step under actually doing the particular task uh, in reality. Yeah. And how it almost yeah 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 intertwines and strengthens that ability to do the specific task when you actually do it, along with visualization, which I think yeah. is just so important because you can get to um. Because you can get almost in like a panic mode, I believe, if you've never done something before or when things get a little bit hard and you haven't thought about it. And then your body and your mind might start to unravel and panic a bit, which, you know, can cost energy, time, and it might just crumble crumble you in the event, which is kind of devastating for the individual as well. Yeah, and- yeah, I think if you fire up, what you what you're gonna do in the race in your head first, you know. You once you get to that part of the race, the body just knows what to do. And uh, so, um, 2019, I was pregnant, so there was no racing, and I just the swim's always been my weakest leg. And I just go out there and I'll swim 30k a week, or I'll swim 10k a week. I'll swim the same time in the race, and I just beat myself up like, why am I no good at swimming? And 2019, I just thought it's because I keep telling myself I'm no good at swimming. Um, so I just started visualizing every night, like watching good swimmers and just visualizing it and just turning it around in my head. Saying, you can swim. You're a good swimmer and this is how you do it. And this is what you do. And um, I'd go there and practice a lot of technique work, but it was more just telling myself you can actually swim. And my swimming improved so much that year. Um, just from changing that mindset and, yeah, visualising that you can actually swim rather than saying, okay, you suck at swimming, but you'll make it up on the bike in the run. <laughs> exactly. It's really, so, yeah. it's really interesting how just that little sort of positive reinforcement kind of can almost make a snowball effect where you start moving forward, you start making sort of a, a positive incline in performance as well rather than beat yourself down 
tell yourself you make you know, you'll make up for it in other areas, but you know, it just needs that, that positive reinforcement from yourself, which for some people may be hard at times as well. And getting back to mm. what you said before, um, I listen to a lot of Navy SEALs who talk about um, Hell Week, which is like almost basic training for Navy SEAL Special Force requirements and how they were saying a key element, like you said, is thinking about breaking, instead of breaking that week or 11 days down into just small, not even one day, but like half hour, hour little bits of saying, I'm going to get through A into B to C, and then I'll have A, B, C complete, and then I'll move on to the next section, which I thought what you said was really important. You think the next K, the next half hour, I can almost get a reward and treat myself, but I have to get there first, which I think is really important for triathlons as well, because it's such a, it's such a beast of an event. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like when you're on the, the bike, you've got 180k bike. If you're already thinking about the marathon and you're hurting on the bike, I, I got to still run a marathon and I'm hurting halfway through the bike. You know, your mind's just going to crumble. It's just going to shut down. And there again, you just think, just get to halfway on the bike, just finish the bike, reset. You know, you got time in T2. You're, you're probably only in transition for, you know, 30 seconds. But you tell your mind, you know, oh, I've got time in T2. I can sit down, put on my shoes, and then you refocus. And then, yeah, just get to 5K. And, yeah, you've got to break it down into little bits. If you just yeah, tell yourself at the start of the day you've got nine hours of pain ahead of you, <laughs> your mind's just going to go, nah, I'm not doing that. Exactly. Did um, you do any like, say, reading or research on other athletes who, or other um, individuals, I should say, that kind of help you strengthen your mind a little bit? Kind of like make to like make sure that your mind is um, stronger than when it was in the last event, or does it kind of you do um, one event and then that kind of carry, carries you on to the next event because you've done it before and you've got like that sort of momentum and you've realized that you can you can complete and or you can win these arduous events yeah I, I think it's easy when you win a race to then hold that confidence onto the next one it's it's always harder when you have a bad race or if you've had to pull out of a race um, or something's gone really wrong to then pull yourself back up for the next one and I think that's where you you really got to work on the mindset and the visualization and um I'll if I have a bad race I'll overanalyze it um you know I'll really beat myself up for a bit um but I try not to let that go past that day I'll like try and get it all out that day okay what went wrong and then try and learn from that and go okay these things went wrong just to make me a better athlete to make me stronger um and I work at you know how am I going to fix those and then go back and go, well, we all have bad races. I've done the training. Um, it doesn't mean I'm going to have another bad race. And, yeah, just a, a lot of self-talk. And my husband's really good as well. Like, sometimes he doesn't need to say anything back to me, but you need, sometimes you need to say it out loud. You just need to mm. throw it all out there, <laughs> get the angry stuff out, get the things you did wrong out, and then turn it around. And sometimes he'll just sit there and just not say a word. Um, but after you've said it out loud, it's just like, okay, I know what I need to do now and I'm good to go again. <laughs> In saying that, um, 
when it's come to events where you've actually won, have you ever entered events where you almost feel a bit too confident or overconfident? Because um, looking back on your previous years um, competing in triathlons, there's actually been multiple years where you've almost won every single event in first place. Have you ever like, have you ever felt a little bit too overconfident and you had to almost take a step back and recalibrate yourself before entering another event? Yeah, that has been a couple of times. And that's where my husband's kind of pulled me back and go like, yeah, you know, don't get overconfident because you will make silly mistakes there. Um, but there's only been a few times like that. There's still, I guess there's a, you always want to perform at your absolute best and you, there's always that one part of your brain that's just like, oh, what if I can't pull it off on the day? What if things go wrong? Um, so more is still just trying to pump myself up every time. And, you know, there's been races where I'm racing the world's best and then there's been races where I'm racing, you know, a third tier pro. And sometimes it's still a close race in both of them. <laughs> I've only just won. Um, it, because yeah sometimes you just you go into the race you are a bit bit too confident and you're like yeah well I can beat them just with a half-hearted race kind of and you realize no I still have to put in 100 percent and and keep focus all day and yeah <laughs> so with um almost overcoming those adversity points has there ever been a time in the race where you've really battled with yourself thinking of say this part of my body isn't performing well I'm kind of behind in time how do you pull yourself back together and try and get a better result than where your body is at yeah there's, there's been quite a few races where yeah the mind starts getting the better of you and I'm just like oh I'm buggered I can't I can't finish this race I can't yeah I'm like oh I have to pull it out and um that's where I really just yeah just have to pull my head in line and, and just go, you know, every, this is one thing that I usually always say to me, everyone else is hurting just as much as you. And, you know, I might um, be leading the race and I'm really hurting or I might be in fifth place or whatever and say, well, you know, the, the ones ahead of me, the ones behind me, they're hurting just as much as I am and they're still going. They're not going to chicken out and, you know, pull out now. And um, so stuff like that, like I guess it's a bit of beating yourself up, but it's also like, trying to motivate yourself as well to, to keep going. And there's times in an Ironman, sometimes you'd be running along going, this is so easy, like I'm feeling awesome. And then a K down the road, you're like, I'm feeling terrible. And then, you know, another K down the road, you're feeling awesome again. So, um, yeah, I just you just got to keep talking to yourself. And I do tell myself, like, if you're hurting, so is everyone else in the race. Now, who can hurt the most? <laughs> so, um, yeah, that, that helps me keep going a bit. <laughs> yeah, that's really, um, really funny how you say it's about how much, well, it's almost how much pain can one person endure for four hours or five hours because it's always, I just recently had a um, mate from high school on the podcast um, who's in the um, Australian Defence Force in the Navy and when he was going through his training, he said, he literally said the exact same you, thing you did. He said, he said, I'm at, um, I might be at this certain point, but there's X amount of people behind me that may be, well, not as fit, um, 
but uh, but is suffering and still going, knowing that he's he's at ahead of them. Like they're still suffering. As it was just really, it was really funny to see how those two correlate, because it's just, yeah. it's not about how fit an individual is, because at the level you compete at, everyone is. I imagine everyone's fit. Everyone can swim. Everyone knows what to do on the bike. And it's just who can endure the most pain for the longest time, really. Yeah. I think that's where a lot of people uh, fall apart. And yeah, you have age groupers all the time coming up to the pros just going, oh, you guys have, you know, you got it easy. You don't suffer like we do. It's not as hard for you. You just, you're so talented. It's easy. I said, no, it's not. If anything, we probably hurt ourselves more than you do. Um, but yeah, as soon as you start thinking during a race that you're really suffering and nobody else is, the race is over for you. Um, everybody's suffering, it, unless they're, they're bludging and then they're probably behind you. <laughs> they're probably not up there winning the race. Um, but yeah, everybody's hurting. And yeah, it is just how much, who can hurt the most. Exactly. Um... So when it comes to your training schedule, how, how does one manage um, kind of consistent training and not, because I imagine it would be so easy to overtrain or um, do too much training in one specific area. How do you have like a team of trainers and perhaps maybe nutritionists where you kind of, they work as a team to like find a nice balance of where, what areas to work on and whatnot? Yeah, um, it's it's just actually me and my husband. Um, he coaches me. I I started out just coaching myself, just doing a bit here and there, um, and then he took over. Uh, so so he watches over it, and he can see when I'm getting a bit tired, and he'll he'll adjust things. Um, but I I do like training with people, so he'll put in the bunch rides. So I'll ride with the local guys around here, and then you know after that I'll have to go off and do my own efforts. Um, on the bike after it I'll do swim squad um, I'll usually just run with him um, but yeah so so he overlooks all that and usually we'll go three weeks hard one week easy but if he sees that I'm dead tired or or if my you know my times are slipping a bit he'll say okay well you're tired um, I'll change it around and it's good having him here watching over me because I guess you don't want to miss any training you want to and so many times I've said, no, I'm not tired. I'm not tired. And, you know, he can see it. Like, I know you are. Um, so he tries to, you know, get on that before I push too hard and, and get injured. But, yeah, when things are going well, you, you always want to do more. You want to push harder. You're, and that's really when you kind of want to go the other way. You want to do a bit less. You know, everything's going well. You're, you're injury free. You don't need to overdo it. So, um, yeah, I think coaching myself was hard because you just like I can squeeze in another session here and but yeah he he won't let me (laughs) what um what kind of distance would each week consist of when you're running cycling and swimming are you trying to put in say hundreds of kilometers for each for each um area or would you kind of map it out I want to get x amount done this week x amount done the next week and then taper off for that, uh, I believe that fourth week you said, the easier week? Yeah, yeah. 
Um, yeah, so say a, a really big week training would be 25 to 30K swimming a week, um, 550 to 600K on the bike, and then 80 to 100K running. That'd be a really big week though. So we, we wouldn't do a full three weeks of that usually. Um, but sometimes that would be the aim, but then he'd go, oh, you're a bit tired. You're going to miss this day or um, that hour runs now half hour run or, or something like that. Um, and then the recovery week is like half of those distances. Um, so, yeah, but we don't, we don't really go a lot on K's and time, um, like time out there and everything it's it's all it changes all the time how, how my body's feeling um even just you know one session if if I haven't hit the times or I'm feeling a bit low the whole week might change it might might be a bit different so yeah it's all I, I guess it would be a hard way to train people by distance um like he's always watching me so it can always change like that is, um, is that method similar to what your competitors do or do they uh, try a whole different approach with maybe like introduce specific um, people to help them out for running and cycling and whatnot? Most, most just have a, a triathlon coach and a lot of people do it by correspondence. Um, so I, I guess like training peaks is a big thing for a lot of people, you know, everything's in there. They put all their feedback in the coach sees, and then the coach can adjust. Whereas we're not very tech minded, um, but we don't have to be because Jared's right here <laughs> coaching me. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. Mo most have a, a tri coach, whereas I prefer to swim with a swim coach and cycle with the cyclists and run. Jared's a runner as well. So I run with him. So I think we train a little bit different to, most triathletes it's it's more and because I started out cycling with cyclists as well um and I was a runner before running with runners so I've kind of like merged these three programs together <laughs> rather than more of a triathlon program and it's, it's clearly working <laughs> it's clearly has results <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah so um <laughs> after each uh week of training and it uh each day, what do you look for when it comes to recovery? Are you, are you kind of into or very uh, specific with supplements or trying out different um, recovery techniques like a Theragun and whatnot, like try ice baths every session or is it you just try and keep it somewhat simple? Yeah, I'm pretty simple. I get a massage once a week. Um, Jared's my husband is also a physio so if there's any extra little niggles or something he, he will see to, see to them um, but the, the best form of recovery is sleep I think and I sleep really well at night I don't sleep during the day at all um, but yeah try to get my 8-9 hours every night um, that's a big thing if I've had a shocking night's sleep he'll usually adjust training the next day um, but yeah, I haven't, I, when I was a runner, I used to do the ice baths, but I don't even have a bath now. <laughs> so I, I probably would keep doing that if I had a bath. Um, but yeah, I haven't, I don't do many of the other techniques. Um, obviously good nutrition, eating straight after training, stuff like that. Do you uh, measure your sleep? Seeming how, like you said, you're really honing in on sleep. Do you measure sleep and try try different uh, techniques to 
increase or have better quality of sleep because um sleep researcher matthew walker i had his book on um why we sleep and uh he gave or he gives a lot of tips on making the room cool i know some techniques um you know have magnesium or um, i'm recently trying having starchy carbs more higher carb dinners at night to um, help you onset sleep and of course you know avoid blue you know blue light screen light and try and make the room as dark as possible to onset sleep do you do any of those particular techniques um i'm i'm not well i probably do i'm not pedantic about it but yeah i do try to you know turn the tv off by kind of 7 30 i mean by 8 30 um yeah start dimming the lights we have more like the um yellow type lights not the bright ones on at night um i have actually since having dakota my daughter she's 13 months now i have been having magnesium at night um just because she interrupts my sleep a bit (laughs) and so it does i think it does put me into that good sleep straight away and then you know she'll wake me up but then i can fall straight back asleep again um but yeah nothing really else i i guess i do like a cooler room um always sleep with the fans on and stuff but when i'm when i'm training really hard i usually just crash out straight away (laughs) and i I think i know in the morning if i haven't had a good night's sleep and then i'll try to put myself to sleep during the day or just training a bit but yeah Mm. i might i might need to read this book (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's a real it's real good because um he's also done a few podcasts as well um one being on the joe rogan um podcast where he he goes on extreme depths about, you know, possibly having later school um, school starting times for children. Um, how I think he was saying how the risk of cardiovascular diseases increase just with daylight saving, like losing that hour of sleep, and how people yeah. can be a little bit more fog foggy minded and whatnot. It was just really yeah. really interesting to to you know learn about how how one little thing at night can drastically change the way you feel uh the way you recover and just your overall health as well which is really fascinating yeah because it's so easy it's so easy to neglect sleep or um prevent or like stay up late with you know because everyone's got a phone everyone's on laptop it's so easy to reduce your own hours of sleep which is yeah yeah that's another thing thing to do like with my, with my phone, I put it to do not disturb from 6 p.m. And, yeah, don't touch it, don't look at it. Even when I have to get up and feed Dakota through the night, um, we just have like a, a little, um, you know, a sensor light thing that comes on when the sun goes down, but it's really, really dull. It's just enough to see so that I don't trip over. And I'll sit there feeding her with my eyes closed and, <laughs> and then waddle back into bed and try not to wake myself up. Cause I know once you wake up too much, then, you know, it takes you a long time to get to sleep again. But yeah, no, sleep is, is so important. And that's, if I don't have an early session in the morning too, um, my husband will help sometimes and get up in the morning and look after Dakota so that I can sleep in there and, and catch up on a bit. Yeah. Cause it's so, it's so much more harder with, you know, a newborn child as well, sleep patterns get disrupted and it's almost, well, new child, it's it's your first priority as well. 
yeah, yeah. It was a bit of a shock at the start. I'm just like, oh, okay, I have to get out what she says. <laughs> but so then when, when I put her down to sleep during the day and stuff, I'm like, okay, I've got to make use of this time. Do I need to sleep or do I need to get something done? And, um, you know, in the past I would never sleep during the day, but now I'm like, I, you know, I have to because I don't know if she's going to get me up the next night. And so, yeah, <laughs> I think that's the best form of recovery, sleep. So if you can, mm. if you can get your sleep nailed. It's, yeah, it's gonna go a long way. Yeah, I, de- I definitely agree. I'm a big, big proponent for sleep because it doesn't really matter how much, how healthy. Well, I guess it, it does help, but it comes to like a certain point where if you're not sleeping well, then your body just doesn't recover the way it should. Period. Doesn't matter like how many proper supplements and diet you're doing, even though that does help. But bottom line is sleep. Yeah, the body heals when you're sleeping. Yeah. And I find, you know, if you don't get enough sleep, if you're tired, then yes, that's when you usually eat the crap. Um, yeah. Your nutrition is not as good because you, you're looking for energy, quick energy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you can, um, you can kind of see that where, say, people stay up late or they're coming home late from, let's say, if they go, go out with a bunch of mates, the first thing they go for is, you know, fast food, late night, yeah. late night snack. But, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> And then it ruins your next day and yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just spirals. Yeah. And you, pre- you pretty much just write yourself off for yeah. the next day. Yeah. Yeah. So when it comes to um, competing in that, what is the driving force behind it? Is it competing to be number one? Is it the rewards? Well, say rewards, but the is it the prize money? Or is it the status? What is the... For you personally, what is the factor that makes you still compete and become first, first place in your events? Yeah, I think just getting the most out of my body. Um, like I just, I just want to push the limits. I want to see how far I can go, like what I can do. So I, I think that's the biggest part of it. Um, you know, that's why I ran, you know, I was always wanted to get faster times than, um, when I swapped over to triathlon at the start, there was a bit of money and I, at the, that was a driver at the start because I was really struggling. And I thought I can't keep doing this sport if I don't have any money. Um, so I'd enter all these big money races and like, I really need that money. I really need that money. And then once I got a bit of money in the bank, then I was like, Oh, am I going to lose my drive? Um, but then you go back to, okay, I want to win all the regional championships and I want to win the world championships and I'd pick these big races. And so, yeah, I just, I think just getting the most out of my body and I always have picked biggest races around um, because it's not as, not as rewarding just winning, you know, the Mickey Mouse race down the road. So I guess it's not just the, the standing on top of the dais, um, you know, gold medal. Um, I want the big ones and, and I want to push the limits. And I, I guess with running, everything was on a, a standard track as well. So you, you had times to go for, whereas triathlon times really mean nothing. So it's more championship races that I want to get now, like the big ones or, or where the best competition is and stuff like that. And yeah, just it's so much more rewarding when you win a race that you really had to work for or you had to you know, beat the best in the world. What has been the most challenging um, race in your career so far? Oh, 
there's there's been a, a few um one of the ones that sticks out that was the hardest to win and mentally the hardest was a race I did in Abu Dhabi um it's a 3k swim 200k bike leg and a 20k run and halfway through the bike leg I lost all my nutrition um it all fell out and I was like it's okay you know there's aid stations and there I was coming past the aid station and there was all these age groupers lined up and I thought oh, I don't have time to stop like a stupid mistake like in a race like that you better waiting five minutes <laughs> um so I just went straight past it and then the next one wasn't for like 50k or something and I'm just like so dehydrated I've got no nutrition I've got nothing and um I finally get to the next one the first bottle I go to grab I drop the next one I drop and the next one I drop I was like three chances and I dropped them all and again I should have done a u-turn and gone back but no I can't so um from about the last three quarters of the bike leg, I had nothing, no, no hydration, no fuel, nothing. Um, and again, this is where I just started talking to myself, just get to T2. Everything will be all right. If you can get to T2, everything will be there. <laughs> um, so I've done a 200 K bike leg off nothing. I get there. I'm, I'm cramping. I'm a mess. I'm like, didn't know how I was going to do the run. And again, just, one foot in front of the other just do the run and I was still in the lead at that time then 5k it's like it's all over like it's this is not going to end well I'm really struggling um and then I just yeah I don't know what happened I just started talking to myself I'm like no pull it together <laughs> you know you didn't come this far you hurt so much on the bike you suffered more than anyone on the bike you can suffer that much on the run and um, again, it was just aid station to aid station, get the nutrition in. And then I started catching the leader again. And when I saw, you know, she's struggling a bit too. Everyone's struggling a little bit. And I just put this big smile on my face and just sprinted past her, like stupid thing to do, sprint. But I just sprinted past her going, good work. And like, I'm so fresh, like looking, looking awesome. And it just mentally broke her. I got around the corner. I was like, oh, my God, that, that hurt me <laughs> big time. Um, but, yeah, it just mentally broke her. And that race, I was just, I guess, so proud of myself that I'd put it together. Like, there's so many times on the bike that I wanted to pull out and then getting passed in the run and then repassing to win. Um, yeah, that was <laughs> one of my most proudest races. It would have been um, a really good feeling, though, because – absolutely you know taking the leader out and then almost taking you kind of take her out of the race as well because she's she's suffering to probably the maximum amount and then she just sees you run past all happy and chirpy she must have been just crushed yeah well I said to her after I said I was an absolute mess I was so fatigued and she said you know I, I thought you were feeling great you know she's like I don't didn't know what you had in that last aid station coke or something but I said oh it was all an act and then you know as soon as I got over the line I collapsed and I had to do the interview on the ground um I just had absolutely nothing left <laughs> with um each um aid station uh do they give you um do they provide kind of everyone the same type of um, supplements or like water or do you kind of provide your own as well when you 
say when you're on the bike, you might have your own um, maybe like extra Gatorade in the bottle or some salt, salt tablets to keep you from cramping. Yeah, I, I try to be self-sufficient. I try to carry everything I need. Um, in for Lyman's, there's a um, special needs table where you'll put in your stuff and you'll grab your bag. Um, if you're not self-sufficient, like you just grab whatever's there. And they'll tell you before if it's Gatorade or Powerade or, you know, whatever brand it is. Um, but there'll always be gels, electrolytes, um, food. You know, there's usually bananas and, and stuff like that at aid stations. Um, but yeah, that's the same for everyone. Um, so yeah, I try to be self-sufficient, but if you drop everything, you, you kind of got to take what you're given. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine that's really, really deflating if you drop all your supplies or sup or extra water. And then you kind of have to keep, like, like you said, when you drop the water, three different waters, three times, was that really like deflating? Almost. Yeah. Oh, I, you know, I would never, I don't think I've ever done that before or again. I think it was just that I was so desperate, like telling myself, you can not miss this aid station because you desperately need this, that I just made stupid mistakes. And, you know, instead of being relaxed, riding past, grabbing it, I was probably all tense going, do not drop this. Um, but yeah, that's that's other things that I visualize too. Sometimes I visualize just things going wrong and just just in and I don't spend too much time on it because I don't want to drill into my head for something to go wrong. But just in case I drop a bottle or I lose my stuff, what will I do and, and stuff like that. So you're going through that, I think it keeps you a bit more calm in the race. Do you find it um so when you go through each aid station as well, is it almost a skill in itself to uh, almost force yourself to drink and eat because you know when when people are competing they don't really they don't really have well I guess and some people don't really have an appetite to want to eat but you kind of have to force yourself is it more like a skill to learn how to deal with your stomach um, or having intake of food and that when you're constantly moving forward and pushing forward yeah it you do have to force yourself a bit. Um, if it's a really hot race, you want to drink water. But if it's a cold race, you kind of got to remember, like, force yourself to drink it. Um, with electrolytes and, and stuff like that, I try to make them a bit nicer to so that I do want to drink them. Like My very first Ironman, I just had all these gels. And you can – stomaching straight gels when, you know, you're dehydrated and you're fatigued, you just don't want it. You're just over the sugar – it makes it really hard. So I, I use electrolytes that don't have too much flavor um, that aren't too strong. I water everything down. So my gels on the run now I'll take in a flask, like half water, half gel. So it's a lot easier to get down. Um, so yeah, I think that's why people prefer their own nutrition as well to something that you can get in. Otherwise, if you don't want to get it in, you're going to bonk. And that's what I did in my first Ironman. I just thought, oh, yeah, I'll just do all these gels. I'll just tell myself to have them. You know, after the fifth gel, I'm like, I cannot stomach any more. And then so i got to run a whole marathon off, off nothing because I cannot stomach it. It's just sending me straight to the toilet. <laughs> so, yeah. Do you time it? Some people even set timers to, to remind themselves to eat and drink. Yeah. I was just about to say that. Do you time yourself um, or kind of say to yourself, I'm going to have um, this – this amount of electrolytes kind of 
nearing the end of the race or do you have it at each station the same or a similar dose of electrolytes and water and whatnot? Yeah, I do work it out before the race. Um, so on the bike, I'll go by Ks. So when I'm at 10K, I've got to have had this much water and this much electrolyte. When I'm at 50K, I have to have had this much. And, you know, it's, sometimes it's playing catch up a little bit and you don't want to, you know, have nothing the first 50K and then skull it all. So sometimes I don't quite get through all my stuff. Um, but, yeah, I do have that rough guide of by this mark, I want to be through this much. And as same as on, on the run, you know, I'm, um, I have my watch beeping every K and so every 2K, just have a little sip of that, that flask and, you know, by 10K, that flask has got to be empty and, and stuff like that. So another thing to think about and take your mind off the pain of it. <laughs> Speaking of pain, um, I was going through some of your um, Instagram posts and I came across one absolutely, it absolutely shocked me. And it's a, I believe it's like an MRI of one of your arteries. And it's the way it's described is at a 90 degree kink, like a kink in a hose almost. And I was, yeah, I was baffled because I don't know how that can even happen without, you know, without someone being in maybe a contact collision sport even. How does that even, yeah. how does that even happen? Yeah, it's, it's actually becoming a lot more common now in cyclists. So because we're bent over a bike for so long and we're pushing so hard so the blood is pumping through so fast, it stretches the arteries. And because then you're in that bent position, it gets that kink. Um, and so the artery, it gets too long and it, it kinks like a hose. And so then, you know, as soon as I get on the bike and I'm bent over, there's no blood flow getting through and, and the legs shut down. Um, so yeah, I've had quite a few operations for that. It's, it's called endofibrosis, um, in the iliac arteries. So a lot of the top, um, cyclists are getting it now. And, um, yeah, we're realizing that being bent over a bike for hours and on, on end pushing hard is, is not all that good. <laughs> yeah. Cause I've got, I just put up the photo now and it's a, a one centimeter length kink in that artery. And I was just. It just looks really, it does not look pain, like, it looks so painful just looking at the MRI image of it too. Yeah. It yeah. Well, the thing, it's, it's, it's such a weird one too that um, it, like, as I said, it's becoming a bit more common now, but it's hard to explain your symptoms. It's like your leg is just fatiguing abnormally and then you know, you keep pushing through it. There's no blood getting to it, so it just shuts down. But it's not a pain as such. It's it's more of a fatigue, a lactic, a, the quad doesn't work anymore. Um, so it took a long time to, to diagnose that because, you know, the doctor's like, what do you mean? You're not in pain. It's like, no, my leg's just shutting down. <laughs> but... But yeah, a lot of a lot of athletes are getting it now, and and with with that one, they had to cut the kink out, and um, then they put a vein patch in it and sew it back up, and yeah. <laughs> wow, they had to so oh, so it can't fix itself. It needs was it almost like immediate surgery? Like it must be done immediately when they um, no, found it. No, no. Um, so as soon as you you stand up and stuff, the blood can still flow through. 
but the longer it's being kinked, it gets thickening inside the artery. So less blood is going through, but still enough, you know, to walk around the block without your leg shutting down. It's more when it needs a lot of blood. So when you're pushing hard and a lot of blood's trying to flush through, it's hitting that kink and spurting back. So, um, yeah, so then it's not getting to the cord. So, yeah, it wasn't immediate surgery, but surgery is the only fix. Um, cut the kink out, cut all the fibrosed um, artery out and, and repatch it. Was that a quick recovery after that? You could feel your leg almost feeling brand new again? Oh, some people it is. Mine was a bit botched. Mine, mine actually, he actually cut the kink out and just sewed it back together and it fully scarred up. So that uh, was like very, very little blood getting through. So then I had to go under the knife again and then he slipped and nicked another artery. So I almost bled to death. So then I had to wait, I think it was about 16 weeks for the blood to regenerate so that I could function normally. So, um, yeah, it was, it was quite slow. But if everything goes to plan, um, about eight weeks is the recovery and then you're back into it. So it's, it's pretty quick considering it's major surgery. I'm guessing you never went back to that doctor again after the second time? Oh, I did. I got the other side done as well. <laughs> <laughs> so it happened to both sides? Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. At the same time or different <laughs> times? Different. Oh, they, they say that I probably had it slightly in the other side as well, but you only ever feel the one that's worse. So got one done and then a couple of years later got the other one done. Oh, that is... That is so unfortunate. <laughs> yeah. So when it comes to the next phase of your life, you know, recently being becoming a mother, uh, are there any plans for um, future outside of triathlons, such as um, coaching or staying somewhat more involved, maybe in trying to grow the sport on uh, in Australia and whatnot? Yeah, um, I'd, I'd like to, you know, once the world gets back to normal, get back racing and stuff for another few years. And then, yeah, I'd, I'd like to coach kind of the, the, the younger triathletes coming up. And um, I, I guess me and Jared coach a lot differently to a lot of triathletes. And um, so, you know, when you get the people that have already been to all other coaches, you know, they kind of have their, their ways. Um, so it's hard to hard to kind of change them to our way. So yeah, I'd, I'd like to work with the younger ones and and just you know see if it if it doesn't just work for me, if it works for everyone the way the way that we train. Um, I'm I'm also a massage therapist and I really I don't do it now, um, but I I did at the start of my career. I, I really enjoy that too, like helping people in in that way. So I think I would do a bit of that as well mainly athletes and sporting people yeah because when they hear hear your story and hear your achievements um i'm guessing a lot of the younger kids are just eyes wide open almost hear every word that you say pretty much because it's all you know straight from the horse's mouth so to speak it's all absolute golden material golden information sorry yeah, yeah, and I think, yeah, young kids haven't been to all these other coaches and they're not um, reading all the social media yet and, the you know, the latest craze, the latest, um, you know, session to do and 
Um, you know, a lot of people out there that just read like, oh, so-and-so did this session. Oh, I'm just going to add that into my program. And so-and-so did this session. And, you know, you can't just grab a bit of this program, a bit of that program and, and mash it all together. You know, you got to have total faith in your coach and, and just follow, you know, one theory. And, and it might not work for every athlete. And, you know, I'm happy for them to say, you know, this doesn't work for me. I'll, I'll go somewhere else. Um, but, yeah, when you have somebody trying to mash up programs, it doesn't work. And, and the younger kids kind of <laughs> are a bit better at listening. <laughs> Why do you find a lot of kids are kind of just trying to find pieces of different training sessions to put them together? Is it because um, the people that they're getting it from, uh, are they accomplished triathletes as well? Or are they just doing extraordinary amount of training and that's what they want to do as well? Uh, I think a lot of like a lot of pro triathletes will, you know, on their social media, on their Instagram, every now and then they'll say, this is the session I did because people are interested to know what we do. And, you know, I might put out this massive session that I just did. And then Jan Fredino might put out this massive session he just did. And Daniela Reef might put out a session she did. And then this person's reading it going, oh, oh Mel does this and Jan does this and Daniela does this. And i they're all really good athletes, so I'm going to do all of that. But if you take all these different sessions and mash it all in and they try to put it all in the one week, <laughs> it's going to be a disaster. Um, you know, none of us have put out our entire program for the, the whole week or the whole year for them to look at. They're just getting little snippets here and there and, and going, well, he did that, so I want to do that, and she did that, and I'll put that in as well. And you know, you can't fit in a session from every top athlete <laughs> in the world. So they're getting like the, um, they're trying to pay, put together just highlights of what these pro, yeah. pro athletes are doing. Yeah, yeah. Because none of us are going to, you know, do an Instagram post and go, oh, 30 minute jog today. <laughs> you, know? Um, you know, you're going to put something a bit more interesting um, that somebody wants to read, go, oh, wow, she did that. Um, so, yeah, so they're just getting mainly the, the big sessions, the hard sessions, the intense ones that you don't want to be do too many of in one week and, yeah, trying to put them all together. <laughs> of course, because you wouldn't want to um, have, like, a young, a young person training and just batter them with hundreds and hundreds of kilometres each week and hours and hours of swimming and cycling because it might – you know, I'm guessing it might just deflate them and overtrain them as well, kind of take away a little bit of that little bit of the motivation as well or just getting battered every training session as well. Yeah, and I think that's what a lot don't understand as well, that they don't understand that we're doing we're not doing a hard session every day or high intensity session every day. Um, that's not why the pros are faster than the age groupers. Um, it's all consistency and triathlon is it's an endurance sport like you, you're not actually doing that many real high intensity sessions it's just yeah a lot of training a lot of cumulative training and you know let's say you, you build your base and you get fitter and um you know and then like we talked about the the mindset who can hurt themselves the most and, and push hard and but yeah it's not we're not training harder or 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 different to anyone else. It's just, yeah, consistency and putting it all together. You need, you need those real easy sessions. 
you need those real hard sessions. You need all of it. You can't just pick and choose the bits you like and mash that into your week. Yeah, it's um, like most things, you need a balance because if you do too many hard things, you'll get probably create burnout, un, like being unmotivated, almost take the fun out of it because for kids, a lot of sport, they do it because they enjoy it. They're fun. It's fun because they get to be with their friends and create social, you know, new social um, groups and whatnot. But if you make it too easy, then you get a similar effect. It's, it's, um, it has no, what's the word? It has no purpose to it. Like anyone yeah. you could just make it, don't really make it a sport if it's just too, too easy because kids want to, kids want to compete as well. They want it cha- like yeah. challenging enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you need to challenge yourself and then you need the recovery days between to absorb that hard session. And, you know, if, you, if you've got a high-intensity session every day, well, you're not going to look forward to that high-intensity session because it's every day. Whereas if it's just three days a week, you know, you'll get yourself ready for that one and you'll use the easier sessions to recover from it. But then there's also, you know, you've got to build the aerobic base, the anaerobic base. You've got to do your lactic threshold stuff. You, yeah, you can't just, just work on aerobic or just work on that lactic threshold. You've got to cover everything if you want to be, you know, a really good athlete. When um, it comes to coaching for you, what, what, do you sell, what do you say to a young person as, like, as the um, first little bit, of, little bit of advice? Would you tell them... Um, kind of what to do when training, kind of like what you said, it's not always about doing a hard session every day or is it more how you put it before? It's all just mindset and kind of to see how much pain and suffering can you endure. <laughs> and I'll turn a few away. Um, I, I still think the number one thing about it is keeping it fun and a lot of people will, you know, you'll see them doing these sessions in their little dark room on the treadmill and um, just beating themselves up and it's not fun at all, but they think that's what they need to get better. Like for me, I could not run on a treadmill and especially, you know, living in Queensland, it's beautiful outside. I'd much rather run outside. So, and especially for young kids, the, the fun factor, that's, that's what keeps you motivated and that's what gives you these goals to race. If you're hating training day in, day out, you're not going to do well. You're not going to stick at it very long. Um, So, like, I love riding with the guys around here. And a lot of people go, well, that's not very tri-specific. You know, it's it's a 40K smash fest. Everyone just trying to break each other. So I'll do that. And then I'll go off and I'll do some 20-minute efforts at my race pace. But I just, I love it. It's so much fun. And I get home and I'm so pumped and I'm motivated and I look forward to that session every week. So I think that's, that's the number one thing. Is it fun? If it's not fun, you're not going to stick at it. If, if I was told that to be world champ, I had to do all my running on a treadmill. Um, I had to do all my swimming in a 25-metre pool on my own and I had to run on my own. You know, I wouldn't be in the sport now. <laughs> that's not cool. So, um, yeah, so that's the first thing I'd ask people. Like, what's fun to you? Do you want to swim with a swim squad? Do you want to train with these close friends? Do you want me to be out there watching you, running with you? Um, stuff like that. Make, make it fun for them. Um, and then, obviously, you know, some sessions aren't that fun at the time. They're a bit painful, but they're rewarding after. 
that's really important what you said. Um, just keeping it fun because I know I've I've done running on a treadmill, and then you know I do most of my running outdoors, going past the beach, just running around Sydney, um, and whatnot. And it's I feel like it's more it's almost chalk and cheese in the sense that. Um, running on the treadmill is like eating, you know, eating the same flavor, the same food every single day. You kind of, it's monotonous. It's just the same thing. And it's also, you're indoor, you're doing something that you're supposed to be doing outdoors, but it's indoors and you're just looking around, seeing the same thing as to running outdoors where you're going past say different neighborhoods, the beach, you're kind of seeing different areas of, you know, your neighborhood and whatnot. And plus, you know, if you've been outdoors in the sun or, you know, uh, at night or whatever, it's a bit more, it's a bit more um, visually and more mind stimulating as well. Makes it so much more enjoyable doing it outside. Yeah. Yeah. If you're doing, yeah, yeah. Like some people like training inside. So, and that's what I'd ask them. Do you like doing sessions on the wind trainer? Do you like running on the treadmill or do you prefer to do it outside? Um, but, you know, if you're doing a, a bike session inside and then you finish it and you just hated every minute of it and you're like, but it'll pay off, you know, because that's what's going to make me faster. But you're not happy about it. So it's it's actually not going to be as rewarding as if you did it outside and you enjoyed it. Um, like a lot of people will say to me, you know, why don't you train on the indoor trainer for your hard efforts so that there's no traffic light or there's no U-turn or there's no stop. I'm like because I would hate it <laughs> I just wouldn't enjoy it so I would rather just slow down for a second and to do that u-turn or, or whatever um and just really enjoy it and get back happy and feeling good about it and and then I've, I've felt good about my session so I I feel like I got a lot out of that session because I'm happy um so yeah each to their, each to their own but that's I I think another massive part about longevity in the sport um staying injury free and staying motivated to to get through these long events is the enjoyment well said because um again when you're doing cycling or running um outside in like the general public um what i like what i like about it is you kind of you kind of need you need to think as opposed to on the treadmill you don't really need to think as much because the the um what do you call it? the the um the floor the flooring of the yeah, treadmill yeah, is so constant nice. is the same as opposed to running where outside and cycling of course when you're on the road you kind of need to think um about traffic you need to think about cars coming in and out of um driveways and tra- and and stoplights as well which to me i think is important because um, same with competing in, say, whatever sport you are. When you get tired, you lose a bit of lack of thinking. Yeah. It's easy It's easy to get tired and then you stop thinking and then you might, you know, it might result in you tripping, tripping over or falling short of your expected, yeah. um, expected targets as well. Yeah. On that, I also think too, a lot of people, they train indoors and they listen to music. And they're not actually thinking about their technique or the, the pain or the suffering. They're just off, you know, somewhere else and just getting it done. 
like I, I actually like to feel all those experiences. Like, yeah, I'm out on the bike or I'm running and um, I'm, I'm feeling like how my muscles are feeling and I'm getting a bit tired and then I've got to start that mental talk and everything and keep it going. I'm, I'm not off somewhere else. Um, yeah, right there doing that session, fully focused on that session. And I think that helps in a race as well. In a race, you can't have music. You can't, you know, send your mind off somewhere else and just let your body do the work. You got to then deal with all those emotions and that, that mental fatigue in the race. So the big part of my training is getting through that in training. Um, you know, I said that earlier, like when it starts hurting and everything, that's when I know the real work's being done. Um, if I just stick some music in there and, you know, let the treadmill just tick over for me, I just got to pick my feet up you know, you're not getting that mental training. That's so important what you said about um, as well training with music. Um, I don't run with earphones in one because it's, they don't really fit in my ear. They kind of fall out and I don't like running with my phones, phone in that just in case I might drop it or lose it and I'll be kind of devastated as well. But I really, I really believe in um, training without music because then you start hearing you know, those voices in your head, you start feeling, um, yeah. you know, your legs getting filled with lactic acid. You start, you start uh, learning more about yourself, more about your mind. And then yeah. you kind of get acquainted with those thoughts in your head. Yeah. It's really refreshing hearing someone else say it. Like, you know, I feel like I'm the only one that doesn't listen to music or carry a phone when I train. <laughs> like no I'm out there doing that session and that's all I'm thinking about is, is doing that session <laughs> yeah because it's um because when exactly like you said in competition or um competing there is no there is no music mm. so why why do something in training that isn't you know what's going to be expected at at the event because um you know yeah when I used to train basketball, when I trained jujitsu and wrestling, there, there is no music. You just, you just um, hearing, hearing your own thoughts, think, thinking, or you're just following that instinct instead of hearing music, which I think to me is a little bit distracting as well. Cause it, yeah. Yeah. Cause if you, if you need music to motivate you, then when you're out competing, like where, where are you going to find that? intuitive motivation like it's got to come from yourself you know first rather than hear music as your sense of motivation which i think people people don't people don't like to hear their own thoughts really and i think that's really mm. it's really sad because you learn so much about yourself when you're doing hard things when you're under tension and all you got is your own thoughts and your own mind that's when you start to strengthen your ability to get through harder and harder things, which I think a lot of people yeah. need to start doing more as well. Yeah. I think it's almost, it's the same as meditation. Um, you're being in the moment. Like I, I feel great when I come back from a training session because it's just you and your mind and your thought and you're just in the moment that whole time. Whereas, yeah, if you listen to the music, you're, you're distracted. And I almost 
think do people not really like the sport if they're they're listening to music while they're doing their hard session (laughs) it's yeah but everyone's different I guess (laughs) yeah everyone yeah like each to their own like I'm not saying everyone has to stop listening to music yeah when they're running because you know they got to kind of enjoy they got to kind of enjoy what they're doing as well it's just you know for me personally I don't like listening to music when I'm working at like working out or training and mm. you know you kind of it's a weird way to put it but a lot of of those you know um you know dark thoughts start to come out and then you start to deal with it get acquainted and you kind of get comfortable with those you know dark corners of your mind those insecurities about yourself start to come out and you can kind of you know you kind of navigate and you get acquainted with you know not every not everything is positive and happy sometimes you you're, you definitely need to get used to those you know suppressed thoughts in your mind that can be yeah. covered with music and you know just whatever yeah. whatever's going on that's the thing when they're coming up too i think it's, it's a clearing isn't it once they come up you can you you get them out you you clear it Whereas, yeah, like you say, when the music's there, it's just covering it all up and, you know, you're just pushing them deeper down and, you know, one day you're not going to have the music and that's going to be race day <laughs> and everything's going to come up and you're not going to know what to do. Exactly. And I'm pretty sure you've seen that as well when some people some people are just, they're not just competing, but they're also battling their own thoughts in their head because they may, they may be like panicking a little bit as well because they're not used to, being under such stress and um, conditions as well. I'm sure you've seen that plenty of times. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, They're, you know, those people that are that haven't dealt with them in training, it's usually the people that are easy to break. Um, like I said, you put on a smile and run past someone, like I'm, I'm feeling great, even though you're feeling terrible. <laughs> but, yeah, if those, those other people aren't mentally strong, that's that's where you can break them. Yeah, because um, when I was playing basketball and I I really injured my ankle bad, I had a lot of ligament damage and I think I had chip bone in there. I had a few fractures. Um, you know, I thought I had to get those thoughts of, you know, surgery because, you know, that there's a little piece of chip bone that might may cause, you know, further damage down the road. But luckily I didn't have to. Um, you know, I could ju- just do the rehab and whatnot. But that's when I started to learn about how to strengthen strengthen the mind and perhaps stop listening to music when you're trained because, mm. you know, there's going to be points where you're, you know, when things in your body just stop working, you're going to have fractures, you're going to have your physical abilities, you know, restricted for whatever reason. And just having your, yeah. just your mind is is that key element to getting through anything because your mind your mind tells your body what to do rather than your body telling your mind what to do yeah yeah most definitely yeah yeah physically the body can keep going it's it's mentally where it, it shuts down yeah, exactly uh mel i really appreciate you jumping on the podcast it is it was an absolute enticing episode and a whole lot of fun as well Thank you very much for having me. Uh, all, the, all the best, Mel, to you and your family. And I'll definitely be checking up on 
your progression on Instagram. Um, also, before I forget, um, where can we find you, Mel, on your socials? Do you have any particular training videos or whatnot you want to give a shout out real quick? Yeah, um, so my Instagram's Mel Houshult. Um, my Facebook is is Mel Houshult. Um, I have Twitter, but I don't really use it that much now. So yeah, my Instagram, Facebook, um, work most of the time, and yeah, yeah. Oh, good, wonderful. Thank you, Mel. I really appreciate, really appreciate your time.